Welcome to the Summit Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit summitsanmarcos.com. Amen. Give to the Lord. It's good for you. If you have a, you can text to give. Um, that's true. Text 84321. Text give to 84321. And then it'll tell you how to sign up in your card. You can text from your phone, write me to your bills. Okay, Proverbs 2131. Someone just just write that down or open your Bible or whatever it is. This is the word for you tonight. Okay, Proverbs 2131. 2131. And this is what it says that the horse is made ready for the day of battle. But victory rests with the Lord. Mm. Bam! The horse is made ready for battle, but the victory rests with the Lord. That's Proverbs 21 31. Good. Everyone say, The horse! The, the horse. horse! I don't know what that means, but it's, it's kind of funny. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Tonight we're talking about uh, trust, and uh, you guys have been in like the long. Stretch series that this is what you do for like <laughs> yeah. three months now or something like that. <laughs> right? Has it been a while? Yeah. And that's okay because there's a lot of things you could do. So, <laughs> but tonight I just felt like we need to talk about trust. And here's the deal: the horse is made ready for the for the day of battle, but the the, the deliverance, the victory, the, all of that, it comes from the Lord. So here's the point: that you can do everything that you can do in your own strength, but at the end of the day, your yeah. victory is going to come from God. Come you with me on this, like? We we gotta talk. We're talking about trust, and trust isn't just an event that happens every once in a while. Trust is the lifestyle that you live in following God. And so it's not just like, oh, I had to trust Him this one time with my finances. No, no, no. Like you're you're literally laying your entire financial life before God, saying, like, here, I'd like to have some more zeros at the end of this, Lord, but there's no way I can make this happen in my own strength. So I'm trusting you. You with me on this? Or I, I'm trying to. I, I, I want to honor you with the first fruits and tithe and offer, but that's kind of freaking me out right now. But I'm gonna do it anyway. Why? Because I I trust you. And, and this is the deal, like it's, it's, hap- it's in every area of our lives. It's not just an event that happens every once in a while. It's, it's when that guy or the girl, you know, whatever, that type of situation happens. And, and God says yes, or He might say no. And then whatever you do is, when you're following whatever the Lord's saying, it's because you what? Because you trust Him. And, and when you're trusting somebody, you're trusting that they have your best intentions in mind. Yep. That's, I mean, at least with the Lord, that's how it works. Because we know that God is good. And, he, and the Bible says, Jeremiah 29, 11, that He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Amen. Hallelujah. To give us peace and not evil and all that stuff. And so, what that word for prosper in Hebrew is shalom, which is every good thing you've ever wanted in life. So we know that God actually wants to give us every good thing. But it's not just all of our wants. Because how many of you know sometimes our own brain doesn't want the right thing sometimes? So we submit our desires unto God and we trust Him because He's good like that and He wants the best for us. And when we follow Him, we get the fruit of the abundant life in our lives. Yeah. Instead of trying to do it on our own strength and you get whatever you can do in your own strength, which really isn't that much and it's not going to last very long because you have to sustain it in your own strength. Which, If you've gone any length in life, you know that you're not that strong in your own strength other than when God does something. 
And so it, it, the deal is, is that the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Trust is a lifestyle. I don't say lifestyle. And so I have a lot of theological things I want to say tonight. <laughs> but if you didn't get anything from anything, even from now to the very end, just get this. Trust is a lifestyle with God. And it's actually the lifestyle that Jesus lived. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blast through some scriptures here because I want you to, to catch this. And this is Matthew uh, 11, 28 through 30. But I'm going to read it through the Message Bible because it's real good. This is what it says, Matthew 11, 28, uh, verses 28 through 30. This is what he says. Are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion. And Jesus says, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. And this is what he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. That's good stuff right there. How many of y'all want to live a life freely and lightly? You, you want to live a restful life? You want to live this life that Jesus said? Uh, uh, he said, I'll, t- I'll show you how to take a real rest. And Jesus said this later on in John 14, 27. Again, like I'm throwing, the, I'm going to blast these all out. You're not going to be able to turn to them, but if you can, uh, you, you might be able to get the audio later or whatever. But John 14, 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And He says, I do not give like the world gives. And then he says this phrase. This is you got to catch this. He says, "Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid." That means you have the ability to let your heart either be troubled or afraid, or to not let it be troubled or afraid. And he notice that God can't. God doesn't let not for you. You're in charge of the let not. Remember, because Jesus said, He said, "I'm giving you my peace," and then basically He's saying, "You can do what you want to do with it." But if you, if you do it right, then you won't let your heart be troubled or let it be afraid. It's John 14, 27. I'm, I'm quoting you directly. One, one modern translation, the voice translation, says, My peace is the legacy that I'm leaving with you. Mm-hmm. You've got to think like, now, now, in light of that, this is how Jesus lived His life. He lived His life restful. He lived His life at peace. He lived his life, like, like the Bible said, my peace I give to you. So that means he, would, he had to have it first before he gave it away, right? So he lived in the peace. It was his legacy that he left. That means Jesus walked a peaceful, prosperous, healthy, joy-filled, like really good life. And even when bad days tried to knock on his door, he didn't let them in. Because how many of y'all know Jesus had a lot of opportunities to have bad days? Now here's the deal. Someone, someone can get crazy and be like, is that that prosperity gospel? It's like there's only one gospel and it makes you prosperous spirit, soul, and body. That's the way it is. And so here's the deal. And <laughs> this is the life that Jesus lived. And here's another verse, just if you want it, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. It says that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, for our sakes became poor, so that through His poverty we all might become rich. That's the Bible. That's not Andrew Hopkins. That's the Bible. So, so why am I telling you all this? Because Jesus actually made a way for us and gave us access to His lifestyle. He gave us access to a life of peace. He gave us access to a life of hope. He gave us access to a life of joy. He gave us access to a life of freedom. Come on, this is amazing. And I'm telling you, Jesus, Jesus gave us the, the, the ability to enter into the way He lived His life and I'm telling you, one of the main keys to entering into the way Jesus lived His life was that one word we said in the beginning, trust. 
I believe the reason why Jesus was able to live so confidently, so securely, uh, is because he trusted in his Father. He trusted God. So here's another verse for you, and this has been almost a life verse for me, even in recent days. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And this is what it says. He says, Come to Him as the living stone, talking about Jesus, and He says this, Who was chosen by God, and he, no, no, no. Actually, let me let me let me flip this. It says this first. He says, "Who was indeed rejected by men and chosen by God and precious." This is telling me some things. This tells me that Jesus lived with two realities. Yet he only drew his identity from one. He lived in two realities: rejected by man and chosen by God. That was a, a reality that Jesus lived in. How many y'all know Jesus wasn't accepted by everybody? <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's amazing, but not everyone liked him. People actually wanted to kill him when he was on the earth. You know, it's like, it's like we talk about him like he's amazing because he is. But the reality is, when he was on the earth, not everyone liked him. It's like how people talk about Smith Wigglesworth. You know, Smith Wigglesworth was a crazy revivalist who raised people from the dead. And I mean, I, I heard crazy stories. Like, there's this one story, and I'll do it real quick. But there's this, this story where he would tell people in his meetings, he'd say, if you're the first person up here to the front, he would open his meetings like this. The first person up to the front is going to get healed of whatever disease they have. And so every time he would call that out and the whole meeting would break open because they would get healed every time. And so these ladies caught on and they thought, man, okay, I'm going to bring, because they had a friend who was hurting. She had a, she had a tumor that was so strong, like big in her belly that it looked like she was pregnant. Like this is how big the tumor was in her belly. And so they had one, uh, her, one friend on one side, another friend on the other side. And they sat in the front row because they knew he was going to say that. And so, so the second he said, hey, the first person up here to the front is going to get healed of whatever disease they have. Boom, they picked her friend up because she, she was so weak and frail. She couldn't walk by herself. Picked her up, brought her up on the platform, and Smith said, let her go. And she said, if we let her go, she's going to fall. He said, let her go. And he, like, he got intense. And, he, and they, they let her go. The lady fell flat on her face, right on tumor, and she let out a groan. The whole audience freaked out because they were like, what's, this, what's going on? And he said, pick her up. And then, and then and they said, oh, they picked her up. And he said, let her go. <laughs> and she fell on her face again. And then they picked her up and some dude yells out in the audience and says, you're a beast. What are you doing? Let that woman alone. And he says, you mind your own business. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> because he wasn't letting unbelief get in him. Because how many of y'all know natural unbelief is in the room now because she fell flat on her face. And you could think that it's not going to work. But he didn't let anything waver his faith in God. And so she said, pick her up. And they said, let her go. She like, we're not letting her go again. She said, let her go. And he, and he roared at him. And, and she, she fell. And right before she hit the ground, she caught herself. And the tumor fell out of her dress. And she was completely healed. Whoa. <laughs> He's wild. Right? That's wild ministry right there. And she totally got healed. And, he, and then talk about breakthrough in your meeting. You know what I'm saying? Like... So why am I telling you this? Because we talk about this and we're like, dang, that's awesome. That would have been cool to be in that meeting, you know, whatever. But the reality is we talk about him like he's a champion, but not people hated him back then too. People didn't like what he did because he was radical as you just heard. Like that's wild faith right there. But how many, how many of y'all know the lady was grateful? I mean, I fell twice, but the tumor's gone. So praise the Lord, you know what I mean? Like, and why am I telling you that? Because, because Jesus lived with the reality that he was rejected by men, but chosen by God. Yep. Now that's a minister's story, but here's the deal. We, we go through life rejected by people. It's just the way it is. It's a reality that we live in. We get rejected by people. You cannot get away from it. 
You're going to get rejected by somebody, and it's going to suck sometimes. It's going to hurt sometimes, but we have to. Like Jesus, He was rejected by men, but chosen by God. He drew His identity, not from rejection, but from chosen. And it's also said chosen and precious. That means valuable and highly prized. That's what the Bible said, and He knew about it. That's how He could walk so confidently. So how do we live this life that Jesus lived? Because Jesus lived an awesome life. And it was challenging, but Jesus never let it shake His confidence in God. But how did that happen? Because He trusted God. He trusted God's will for His life. He trusted God's plan for His life. He trusted God when God said, spit on that mud or spit on that blind dude's eyes. I mean, I'm telling you extreme stories. I don't know why. But I'm just saying, like, like he, he trusted God because the Bible said in John 5, 19, I only do what I see my Father doing. And somehow, He saw in the realm of the Spirit that if He spit on this blind dude's eyes that they're going to get healed. And praise God, it worked. <laughs> this is in the Bible, man. I'm telling you, I'm going to do the rare stories that no one likes to talk about tonight because we like to go over the same passages that everyone talks about, you know, and it makes us feel good. But then we talk about the weird ones and I was like, oh, oh that's the exception to the rule. It's not the exception to the rule because the rule is follow the voice of God. And if God's leading us to do something, we should do it because we, what? Well, we trust Him. And, and just like God called Abraham, He said, Abraham, I want you to go to a place that you don't know about. <laughs> do you get that? Like, go! And you're like, okay, I'm going. Where am I going? I don't know. <laughs> why? But Abraham trusted God. And, it's, and he's the father of our faith and the whole deal. So why, why am I saying this? Because trust is a lifestyle. And this is what you do. You trust God. That's how you live the life of Jesus. You trust God. When He's saying, uh, stay in this place, or He's saying, move uh, to this place, then we trust God that He's going to provide. I mean, God told Elijah the prophet, He's like, hey, <laughs> he's like, hey, man, I've commanded some ravens to feed you. you know? So go, you know, he commanded, he, told, he basically told King Ahab, it's not going to rain except by my word, peace. And then he goes out and he goes far away from the land and he goes to this brook where there's some water and the ravens brought him food every morning. I mean, that's amazing. Finally, the water dried up because there was a famine in the land because there was no rain. And then, so that, coming out, he was in transition. <laughs> That's how you know you're in transition. When every bit of your resources that you've been currently living on have been, are being dried up. And you're forced to go somewhere else. That's how you know you're in transition, by the way. And all the resources were drying up. And so then God says, hey, I have another place for you. I've commanded a widow in this town to feed you. So he goes to this widow's house. This is all the Bible, I promise you. He goes to this widow's house, and she didn't. She apparently she didn't get the memo yet. You know, she was freaking out because because she, Elijah Elijah gets there, and he's like, "Hey, uh, can you get me some food?" And she's like, "All I have left is a jar of oil and some little flour, and basically me and my son are gonna make some bread, and then we're gonna die." And then he's like, "Oh, give it to me first. <laughs> is this crazy or what, man?" Like she has one little tidbit of food left. And, 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 and Elijah the prophet has the audacity to say, give me your last bit of food. And, and, and the miracle happens and, and, and it multiplies this whole thing crazy. Because why? Not only did Elijah trust God, but the widow trusted God. Wow. I'm, tell, I'm telling you about the lifestyle of Jesus of trusting God. Living in the fullness of abundance. Hallelujah. We'll talk about the abundance and the blessing. Wow. But reality is, that's going to happen if you trust Him. 
If you live in your own strength, then you're left to what you can do in your own ability. And that doesn't get us very far sometimes. Some of us, it might get us further than others because some of us are more, uh, have a greater uh, willpower or, you know, you are set up in life in a certain way or whatever. You know, all, all the, the, the teachings of like, it doesn't matter, you know, where you came from, you know, you can get right. I believe all that stuff. But it, unless it has a touch of God on it, I don't really want it because I, I want God's will and plan for my life because it's way better than what I could ever you know, concoct on my own. Yeah. Are, you, are you following me so far tonight? I, I haven't even got to the, you know, the notes that I... Let me just show you the, the notes that I tried to have tonight. So here, I, I try... As you notice, notes are getting smaller every time I come here. But it is organized. I got to some of the notes, actually. So here's the deal. I, let's see... I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to say a few things and, and like, it's just some things that God's been teaching me, um, about trusting him. And, uh, and, and I do have some, some practical application things too, but I want to give you this context, which I, I just kind of did, but there, there was something I've been thinking about. And so there, there's a verse, you can write it down or look at it later, but second Chronicles 32 verse eight, second Chronicles 32, eight, King Hezekiah is the King of, of Judah at the time. He's having a battle with the king of Assyria named Sennacherib. And this guy's talking trash, this whole thing. And so the people of Israel needed some encouragement. So Hezekiah tells them, he says this to, to his people. He said, with him, with that king of Assyria, is the arm of flesh. But with us is the help of our God. And, and then it said the people were greatly encouraged by his words. So what, why am I saying this? Because there's a contrast with you, the arm of the flesh, which is what you can do in your own strength, versus the help of God, which is the trust factor. So this is what happened, Second Chronicles 32.8. And the long, the long story short is obviously, you know, God broke through for them and, and it was an amazing thing. But this phrase of the arm of the flesh kept coming up in my mind lately. And about a week or two ago, I was during, we were leading worship and... and uh, and God started speaking to me about this, and I saw the arm of Jesus like this crucified, and and I and, and like a like a vision or a picture. And I started, and, and the Lord started speaking to me that Jesus crucified the arm of the flesh to destroy our confidence in ourselves. Wow. Now this is crazy. This unpacked like a crazy, crazy revelation. This is where we're going to get more theological, and uh, and and just follow with me or listen to it again later, but. Uh, Jesus crucified the arm of the flesh to kill our confidence in ourselves. Mm. Now, why is this important? Because, uh, like, we put our, uh, the arm of the flesh, basically that phrase, arm of the flesh, symbolizes us trusting in ourselves. Us, it's, it's like the, the self-made, you know, man or woman. It's the, it's I'm going to do this, I'm going to pull my bootstraps up and, you know, whatever. And I'm a determined person, I'm more determined than anybody in this place. Like, I will, I will go to the death, you know what I mean? Like, until we get what we need to get. But I'm learning that that passion is good, it just needs to be sanctified by following what God's doing instead of just doing it in my own strength. And so... And so it's like Zechariah 4, 6. This is where that, not by might, not by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord. So he's even saying, not by your might, not by your power, not by manpower, but by God's spirit, he's saying the same thing. And so it's this ease of the glory versus the arm of the flesh. Are you with me so far? Are you following with me? And so Jesus, and so, so as I started thinking about this, I started going like, oh my gosh. Jesus was actually crucified. He crucified his flesh 
And what is flesh? Flesh is, now, this is what we've been taught a lot, and I don't necessarily disagree fully, but this is, we've been taught that flesh is like, oh, the sinful nature that we all, we do bad things with, you know. But here's what I've been realizing, that the flesh is not just what you do bad things from, the flesh is actually your self, uh, it's like selfishness, it's you putting your own confidence in yourself. You with me on this? That's what the flesh is, and that's what Jesus crucified. Because when Jesus crucified his flesh, he was basically, again, I'm saying this over again, but he's basically saying, I'm prophesying to you to destroy your confidence in yourself. So then I started reading in Hebrews 10, and, and this is what it said, and this blew me away, man. I'm telling you, this, this blew me away. In Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, this is what it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. And then it says in verse 22, let us draw near to God. So why, why am I saying that? Wow. Because here's the question. Uh, you know, what is it that gives us access to the presence of God? A lot of people say it's the blood. You know, and we sing a lot about the blood, but we never really realize what the flesh did or what the body, that you don't even take communion of the body and the blood. Uh, and so, so what I started realizing was that this, according to the scripture, the blood of Jesus gives us boldness to enter, but it wasn't the accident. It was the boldness. It was us. It's like, it's like I can stand before God and not be afraid because the blood has forgiven me. Yeah. But it didn't give me the access. The thing that gave me the access was the tearing of the veil. Yeah. You guys follow me on this? Am I, going, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I'm boring you, but I'm just going to tell you my stories. And so... The veil, so, so here's the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is you're in the, you got the Holy of Holies place where the Ark of the Covenant, the very glory, the Shekinah presence of God dwell. But there was this huge thick curtain that, that separated the Holiest of Holies from, for the high priest to minister and stuff. And only one time a year they could go past this. You guys remember this? Yeah. And so the Bible is telling us though that the veil is actually Jesus' body. That's Hebrews 10.20. The veil is actually Jesus' body. Why is this important? Because it was the veil that kept people from the glory of God. It was the veil that kept people from the presence. And why, why is it so important that Hebrews says that the veil is the flesh of Jesus? Because what they're trying to say is that just like the veil kept people from the glory, that your self-trust, your self-confidence, wow. you putting your own trust in yourself is the very thing that keeps you from the glory of God. Wow. Am I making sense? Yeah. And so what did Jesus do to His flesh? We know that the veil was torn, but what did He do to His flesh? He crucified it. He killed it. He killed His flesh so that He would kill our confidence in ourselves. So that all we would do is trust and rely wholly on Him. So when we lean wholly on Him, we can get in the glory every single time. Why is this important? Because sometimes we're depending on, I prayed a lot, I read a lot, I even fasted, I even did this, and, and here's my countless hours, and so therefore God should give me access to more of Him. But the reality is, if we're trusting in our own efforts, then we have just built another veil. But if we're saying, God, I'm leaning wholly and entirely on you and how you rent the veil and crucified your flesh, because flesh is, you get what I'm saying? It's so important that he crucified flesh because flesh is confidence in self. Mm, yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. And so this is why, this, let me read this verse again. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. That is His flesh. The blood gives us boldness, but the body made the new and living way. So the body was crucified, the veil was torn. So that gives us access. And when we're in there, 
you're glad you have the blood because you ain't going to get killed or you don't have to be afraid of God. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Like the blood gives you confidence to stand before God. But it was actually the body, the flesh of Jesus. So this is what we always do in communion. We say like, oh, his, you know, his body is broken so we can be made whole and his blood forgives us of our sins. Totally true, but there's more to it. The, blood, the body was actually broken so you could get, get inside of the glory. And the blood was there so that way you don't die when you're in the glory. <laughs> and so I, I started diving into this and I started realizing oh my gosh this is everywhere I started realizing that, that, that the, we, the, this flesh thing is all over the Bible and I've been looking at it through another lens because someone taught me that the flesh is like doing bad things but the flesh is no trusting in yourself. And the, and the Bible says in Galatians 5 that the works of the flesh are all these things. Because that's what happens. Because, because when you're trusting yourself, you have no ability to live holy. And, and Romans 8 even says this. It says, those who are living in the flesh cannot please God. So that, means, that even tells me that faith cannot come from the flesh. Because it's impossible to please God without faith. And if you're in the flesh, you can't please God. So you, you can't get faith from the flesh. You can get works from the flesh, but you can't get faith from the flesh. <laughs> I, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to break it down here. And so I started looking at all this and I started realizing, oh, wow, like, like this is a whole new way to live. This is probably how Jesus lived. He never trusted in himself. And that's probably why he had so much peace. That was a long theological way just to tell you stop trusting in yourself and trust God. But I'm telling you, Jesus paid for you to have that kind of lifestyle at the cross. So here, here's where it gets, I'm telling you, it gets awesomer. You know, like if that's a word. I want to tell you this revelation out of, oh man, here, here let me just read, I'm going to read Philippians 3. Now, I'm going to read it out of my, my Bible first, New King James, and then I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation, because it's going to change your life too. But this is Philippians 3. Now, some of this might be familiar to you all, but I want you now to hear it with a whole new ear, because now you know what I'm talking about, when, what Paul's talking about when he says flesh. He says this, I'm going to just read verses 1 through 11. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. He says, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He's talking about people who are circumcising, get, you know, thinking that they're going to earn a better thing with God, which is a really rough time for those guys. <laughs> Verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision, because he's basically saying, Because why? Because he cut off the flesh, but he cut off the flesh by the Spirit, not by a knife. Praise God. <laughs> And it says, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And then he says this in verse 3, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so. (laughs) Then he starts telling his resume of how awesome he was. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. According According to Old Testament law, he was awesome. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, meaning very, very precise and tedious. Concerning zeal, I was persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, it was in the law, blameless. In other words, he's saying, if you want, you want to talk about putting confidence in the flesh, I got more degrees than you can even count. Like, I, I am more holy than you can even imagine. I am more righteous than you ever thought you were. He, this is literally what Paul's saying. And this is what he says after this in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. 
Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Man, this is getting super theological here. That why? That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that's a mouthful. That's crazy. But this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, I, I, if you want me to put confidence in myself, I can do that and I can do it better than anybody. That's what Paul's saying. Like, I got more accolades and more degrees. I'm smarter. I'm more holy. I'm better than all y'all. But you know what I did? I lost. I forsook all of that. And in the literal language, he's basically saying it's poop. That's literally what he's saying. He's saying, I'm counting. And listen, listen. He didn't say I'm counting all of my sins like this. He said, I'm counting all of my good works like this. Do you see the difference? We come to Christ and we say, Paul said, forgetting what's behind, pressing on towards what's ahead. And we always think, forgetting my bad past. No, no, no. He actually is saying, no, I'm forgetting all of my good things that I've done for God. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm forgetting all of this stuff. I'm, I, even my very best isn't enough. Because my very best is still a veil that keeps me from the presence of God. Woo! And I had reverb in that woo. <laughs> so this is what Paul's saying and so now I'm reading this and I'm going like oh my gosh because every time I read this stuff I've always thought oh yeah okay now I gotta stop sitting oh I gotta stop doing this I gotta stop doing this I gotta stop lusting I gotta stop you know lying I gotta stop cheating I gotta stop this all, and all, my, all I thought was that, that losing all things for Christ was losing all the bad things so I could be a better person did you ever think that too? Like, did you ever think like, oh, crucifying your flesh meant stop sinning? Yeah. Did you know that's really not the context of what Paul just said? Because notice, uh, being a Hebrew of Hebrews and doing all that stuff wasn't sinning. I mean, persecuting the church was, but... <laughs> but do you get what I mean? To him, according to the Old Testament law, he was top-notch, blameless. And, and, and he said, it's not about... Listen, listen. It's not about stop sinning it's about start trusting that's what this thing's about because the more you trust the less that's that fruit of sin comes out of your life Woo! now let me break a guitar for that good word not danielle's now let me let me let me just i'm gonna read that part portion again out of the passion translation this is what he said my beloved ones don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. I don't mind repeating what I've already written you uh, because it protects you. Be aware of those religious hypocrites who teach that you should be circumcised to please God. For we have already experienced heart circumcision and we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit, not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and listen, not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. I'm telling you, I didn't, even, I didn't even read this Passion Translation until after all this stuff. And God started talking to me and then I read this. I'm like, I, I think I'm right. I think God's yeah. talking to me. <laughs> and then this, oh, this is crazy. Verse 4, it's true that I once relied on all that I had become. Wow. I had a reason to boast and impress people with all my accomplishments more than others. For my pedigree was impeccable. 
I was born a true Hebrew of, of the heritage of Israel as the son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. I was without a peer. Furthermore, I was, uh, as a fiery defender of the truth, I persecuted the Messianic believers with religious zeal. And this, this is what he says. Yet of all the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I have now forsaken them. And I regarded all as nothing compared to the delight, to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know Him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting and all that I thought made me better than others on the garbage heap. It's, uh, listen, it's all like a pile of manure to me now. So that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace Him as Lord in all of His greatness. I'm going to just keep reading because it's real good. You guys getting this? This is what he says. My passion is to be consumed with Him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My righteousness will be His based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of His resurrection working in me. I will be one with Him in His sufferings and I will be one with Him in His death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with Him in His resurrection from the realm of death. Why is it saying the fellowship of His sufferings? Because when you fellowship in His sufferings, you're basically saying yes to crucifying your confidence in yourself. The fellowship, you can't get the resurrection from the dead without going through the fellowship of His sufferings. And the resurrection from the dead is a brand new life in Jesus. That's what it is. A brand new life. Sins left in the grave. But you can't attain to the resurrection of the dead unless you get crucified first. And I'm telling you, I've heard this taught so hard throughout the years. You gotta deny yourself. You gotta take up your cross. You gotta forsake everything. Like it was this hard thing. But the reality is, it's the most freeing message in the world. When Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, he wasn't saying, like, this really hard stop sinning, you better be a better person. He was saying, deny yourself, deny the ability that you have, deny your, uh, uh, the ability that, or the, deny yourself that you have no ability within yourself to do anything. Deny yourself and follow me. Do you get, the, you get what I'm saying? When he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't saying stop sinning and be a better person. He was saying, deny the, the ability to do anything in your strength other than when God does something in your life. Wow. You get me? Yeah. I mean, this is heavy stuff, man. I'm telling you, this, God's just, I'm telling you, if, I'm telling you if, this, if this gets deep in your heart, I, there, there is a whole new levels of freedom that you're going to walk into. Because you realize that it's not about stop sinning, it's about trusting God with your life. And when that happens, it's not sin management anymore. It's I'm following Jesus with all my heart and I'm leaning into Him. I'm, I'm leaning onto Him with everything that I have. And so, here's the deal. What, if you guys remember in the Old Testament or in the, in the very book of Genesis, is that Adam and Eve, after they sinned, did you know that the first thing they saw and looked at was themselves? Did you know that? After they sinned, this is Genesis 3, 7 or 3, 8. The Bible says they, they says after they ate, their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. Guess where they were looking? At themselves. They were looking at... This is what sin does. Sin keeps you selfish. The first thing... Do you get what I mean? And this is the deal. Self-centeredness always leads to self-righteousness. 
What was the second thing they did after they realized they were naked? They covered themselves, which is self-righteousness. I'm going to cover myself and not let God cover me. How many of y'all know it's better when God covers you and not you cover you? Oh man, I'm telling you, this is so good. Self-centeredness leads to self-righteousness, which hardens your heart to the grace of God. I know I'm talking theological, but it's, it's getting in your heart here. Self-centeredness leads to self-righteousness, which hardens your heart to the grace of God. Galatians 5 says that if you are trying to be justified by the law in your own strength, then you have put Christ in unemployment and you have fallen from grace. Christ actually has no use in your life if you want to live in your own strength. Christ is in unemployment in your life if you want to do it by yourself. Because what is He going to do? He can't do anything because you're not letting Him. You with me on this? So some people, there's that Brian Katie Torrell song where it says, Come and consume God, all we are. We give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We, we want you. Right? You know that song? Some people criticize that song. I've seen it all over, you know, on social media. And they're like, oh, we give you permission. That's cute. God's already in charge of everything. No, He's not. So <laughs> Question, uh, is he in charge of every detail of your life just yet? You know, right? We're working in this thing, right? <laughs> We're working his lordship in every detail. Praise God. <laughs> so when we say we give you permission, it's a full surrender saying, I trust you and not me. Remember, self-centeredness always leads to self-righteousness, which hardens your heart to the grace of God and puts Christ in unemployment in your life. But on the opposite uh, uh, God focus leads to God righteousness and empowers the grace of God to work, which empowers you to live an abundant life. Man, that's good stuff, man. I feel like I'm making wheels turn in people's brains and we're, we're throwing out like steaks all over this room. It's great. You're still chewing on the last 10 minutes and you gave me another one. All right. But here's the here's crazy one. Here's the, I'm, I'm just, uh, listen. I've been, I've been chewing on this for like a couple weeks straight, okay? So you just get all of my thoughts in my life, okay? This is the other part. And some of you heard some of this revelation before. But Adam and Eve, what was it that caused them... Uh, what was it the sin? What was the thing? They, they did what? They ate of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Which, by the way, that's, that's called uh, living independent from God. If you get knowledge of good and evil apart from God, then you don't need Him anymore. God would rather have it you get tree of life and you get everything you need from Him because it comes unpolluted and pure from Him. Wow. You get it from tree of knowledge of good and life, then you're getting it corrupted with the ways of the world. Dang. You with me on this? Yes. That's why the Bible says Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That's why Paul said, I resolve to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm telling you, all of the wisdom of God and in heaven is wrapped up in the person of Jesus, not in experience. Someone can say like, well, you have to go through life in order to get wisdom. Yes, you get, you get stuff from experience, but that's not the wisdom of God. The book of Proverbs is not just because Solomon lived an awesome life. It's because God gave him a supernatural download. And so every time you read Proverbs, you're getting supernatural wisdom from the realm of God's throne. Wow. It's not just like, oh, he was a smart man. No, no, he got wisdom from God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the story? He asked God for a hearing heart and a wisdom to lead his people. And God downloaded him wisdom more than anybody on the ever, on, on, that walked the face of the earth. Solomon had more wisdom. So I, I, I had to switch the way that I thought because sometimes I would read Proverbs and be like, oh, that's just that. It's just that practical thing or whatever. And then I clicked and I realized, where did Solomon get it from? From God. <laughs> it wasn't from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was from God. 
That means everything in book of Proverbs is supernatural downloads on how to live a successful yes. life. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to read Proverbs now. I used to not like the book of Proverbs because it was too practical. And I'm like, forget that. Give me something deep. And then I realized it was wisdom from heaven. Yes. And I'm like, it's supernatural wisdom. Praise God. And, the, and so the New Testament says Christ has become for us wisdom from God. All, I mean, I'm telling you, you can whittle this whole message down and to pursue a relationship with God to get everything you need. But, I, but <laughs> Because the reality is if Christ is wisdom from God, then if you get Him, you get wisdom. Yes. Colossians 2 says that in Christ is hidden all the yes. mysteries and the wisdom that was yes. hidden for long ages is now revealed in the person of Jesus. It's all in Him. And this is the difference between living a life out of your own strength, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which always produces death. That's what God said. Every time you go that way, it produces death. But when you go to God, it's tree of life every time. And you get supernatural wisdom. You get supernatural blessing. You get supernatural favor. Like someone was telling me, they put like 20 offers on their house. Someone else was telling me, they, they put like all these offers. Guess how many offers we put? One. And we got the house. That's called supernatural favor because the favor of God is opening doors that we can't open by ourselves. That's not natural and we got our house in one thing we got the blessing of God in one thing because the favor and wisdom of God is on our lives and I can't boast in it because the Bible said let him who boasts boast in the Lord I didn't make that door open but God made it open hallelujah yeah I'm preaching good thank you Jesus it's because it's God that's why (laughs) whoa where was I I don't have that part on my notes Oh, the Adam and Eve thing. Here's the crazy thing. It was the food that they ate that caused their eyes to be open to see that they were naked. In the New Testament, Luke 24, there was two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and they did not recognize it was Jesus walking with them. The second they recognized that it was Jesus was because they ate a meal. One couple in the Old Testament ate a meal and they saw their nakedness. A New Testament couple ate another meal called communion and reversed the entire curse. And when their eyes were open, guess who they saw? They recognized it was Jesus. This is the point. They they took communion. They took the the, 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 the body, uh, the the bread and the the juice, which represented the body and the blood. And when they did that, it reversed the curse and their eyes opened. Guess what? They weren't looking at themselves anymore. Boom! They saw Jesus again. They weren't self-righteousness anymore. It was God. Wow. It was Christ who is our righteousness. You with me on this? Oh, yeah. man. Woo! <laughs> Reverse the entire curse. Why, why am I saying all this? Because this is all pointing back to trusting God with everything that you have. And putting no confidence in the flesh. And so if you want to get really practical... Like I could, I could say a few things, but this is, if, I was, if I was telling you, how, okay, how do I live this lifestyle? I mean, I, I'll probably throw out some other things, but here's the deal. Here's just a few nuggets. You've got to get rid of, of anything that looks like religion in your life. And what I mean by religion is dead works that you're trying to get something that you already have. Like you're already forgiven, so you don't have to work for it. You're already loved, you don't have to work for it. You're already pleasing to God, you don't have to work for it. And anytime religion is in your life, I'm telling you, it, it's going to wreck the whole thing. It's that whole self, it's basically the spirit of religion happened right there in the garden. When they looked at themselves, and then they covered themselves, and they ran away from God. That's, that's religion. Dead religion. I'm talking about 
you trying to make your own thing for you. And they, they covered themselves. They're like, oh man. In other words, they were trying to cover themselves when God uh, the whole time wanted to be their covering. God, in other words, they, they, they were trying to get themselves cleaned up so God wouldn't see their nakedness. But God wouldn't see their sin. God wouldn't see their shame. God wouldn't see their mess-ups. God wouldn't see their failures. But how many of you know it don't work because God sees it all anyway? And it's real good when God covers you with His righteousness and He looks at you clean, uh, pure, and spotless. you got to get everything that looks like religion. This is what's been happening in my life. I'm, I'm telling you, that, that uh, my whole prayer life has been renovated. Like, like I don't even know. I, honestly, I, I'm telling you, after 16 years of following Jesus, I, don't, I feel like I don't even know how to pray. Like, because I had, a, I had a ritual and God blew it all up. Like I used to, and it's not like it was bad, but God, God had to take me to another level because I would pray through the Lord's Prayer and I would use that as a template. But, but then it got to the point where if I didn't pray through the Lord's Prayer, I wouldn't feel like good. I would still feel incomplete inside. And so this is what happens. Is the spirit of religion makes you feel like, oh, I have to do a certain amount of things in order to feel good inside and then I can move forward with confidence. But the reality is Jesus already paid for that. <laughs> so I don't have to do that. And God has been, I'm telling you, peeling all this up. So whatever stuff looks like that, you gotta, you got to go after it and let it go. And what, well, what am I supposed to do? Trust God. Because now my prayer life, I don't even know what it looks like. I mean, Taylor asked me a while ago, like, so man, what does your devotional life look like? I, honestly, dude, I don't know. I mean, I read the Bible and I try to pray, but it doesn't work sometimes because I'm doing it religiously. And it's like... And then there's a, there's a verse for it. Wait. Pray without ceasing. Oh, you mean that I don't always have to lock myself in a room and hide for three hours and neglect everybody else who's outside the door and then come out still like a jerk, the same jerk that came in the room, I still came out like a jerk and I wasn't changed at all. Wow. <laughs> I'd be in prayer for hours sometimes and then I'd still come out and be rude to Rochelle. And she, she would even tell me, she's like, I don't know why you pray so much because it doesn't seem like it's really changing. <laughs> And I love that she said that. Because she, she said, she said basically, I don't, think, I don't think prayer is your answer. That you, you, I don't think that you need to go pray more because it's not really working. <laughs> and then I realized I was, I was doing a religious duty and I wasn't really communing with God. Wow. So you should probably go after everything that's not communing with God. Like, like you, you get, did you, does that make sense to you all? So we, maybe find whatever that is in your life. If you have the same things as me, then realize. I'm just saying, like, if the gospel's not changing you, then something's wrong, you know? <laughs> like, if spending time with God and you're still coming out a jerk, <laughs> wow. then you may, you may want to tweak a few things in the prayer life, you know what I mean? Like, and it doesn't mean repenting for your whole prayer time, too. One time I was repenting for, like, a long time, and God's like, can we talk about something else now? <laughs> and I actually, I actually ignored him because I didn't like it. Like, I was like, no, I need to repent. I need, to, like, I need to confess all my sins so that way it can be clean. That's called religion. That's dead religion. It's not getting you anywhere. Life is what we want. Okay, so other things. First uh, Peter 5, 7 says, Cast your cares on God because He cares for you. Um, if you want to live this trust life, this lifestyle, I'm telling you, just like let take all the things that you have and do this daily. And literally give them to God and stop carrying them on the road. Because again, when you're carrying them yourself, you're saying, you know God, I got this. And the reality is you don't got it because it's weighing you down. It's stress is unhealthy. 
It's not good for you. Mm-hmm. And God's so good because the Bible says, cast your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares. Isn't that amazing? The Amplified Bible says He cares watchfully and affectionately. Mm-hmm. That's what it says. That's how good God is. And I, and, and I was telling Don about this, like I, just the last few weeks, like you, some of you guys know, like I had to get surgery. Like it sucked. I had, I had to get my appendix removed and it was, and, and there's just a lot of stuff that came with that. And, and it sucked, but you know what? I found out the word works. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought, right? <laughs> you do what the Bible said and then it works, you know, like, and I literally like I'm laying on my bed because it's like, it was hard to get up because I have, you know, like cuts in my stomach, you know? And I'm just like, okay, this is bothering me, Lord, this anxiety. The word for cast your cares can also be anxieties. And I just started, like, literally, like, I would throw them on God, and I just did, and I let go. I stopped trying to carry it myself. And what do you know? The peace of God came. (laughs) So how do you live the the trust life? You give all your cares to God and let Him carry it for you. I don't even know how that works. I honestly don't know how that works. I don't understand it. Someone say, well, yeah. Just give it to God. What does that mean? I, I don't know. I just... Cast means a throw. So I just like pretended it was in my hand. I threw it at God. And then I tried not to care about it anymore. Wow. I'm foolish enough just to try the word. You know, like I just... Let's just see, you know, like see if it works. And praise God, it works. If you pick it back up, throw it back on God again. And the last thing is... Uh, I don't know. Some other cool things, whatever. <laughs> Prioritize his presence. Uh, there's something about the presence of God. I, I, I think I'm done. I can feel it. That's weird. The anointing is lifted. I'm done preaching. Uh, but I'll land on that thought just to have the tie a ribbon on the end of it. It's, uh, uh, the, pre- the presence, there's something about the presence of God that uh, it, everything looks right in the presence of God. You, you, can, you, can, you can see life properly when you take a moment to be in His presence. I'm telling you, 30 seconds in the glory is better than all the worry and all the stuff. You follow me on this? You've got to prioritize it. So what, what is our hard work that we do in Christianity? It's not, i got to stop sinning. i got to stop being bad. i got to stop. i got to stop. No, no, no. Stop trusting in yourself and kick everything out that fights against your trust in God. That's the warfare that we fight. We, we, we got we to gotta take all of our passion, all of our effort, and fight hard against everything that distracts us from trusting God. You follow me on that? We got we to gotta be so diligent, take all of our passion, because it's, it's, we're not fighting so that way we gain power over sin. Jesus already did that at the cross. What's our key? Believe Him. Trust in Him. We we take all of our passion, all of our hunger, to pursue His presence, to know God, and to kick every distraction out of the way and clear the air so we can focus on Him. Stop looking at ourselves. Stop looking at our nakedness. And start looking at Jesus, who is our righteousness. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. I hope it made sense. But Lord, I know your word is true, so 
If our minds didn't get it, thank you that our spirits caught something tonight. And Lord, I thank you that as we put our trust in you, no matter what circumstance it is, we let go of control. We let go of the steering wheel, so to speak. We let go. We give our cares to you. We lay our lives completely and throw ourselves on Jesus. Thank you, God. I just feel like to, to put this like encouragement out there and this charge, like if this gospel isn't changing us, then, then man, we gotta, we got to get a different shift on our perspective. Like if we're not living the peace life, if we're not living the joy life, it's not just a cool thing that happens in a charismatic service where people laugh on the ground and stuff. Like, like it's actually a lifestyle that we can live in. And we can live like Jesus lived. So Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that You grant us the ability and the grace to trust. To trust You with our finances. To trust You with our futures. To trust You with our relationships. To trust You with our jobs. To throw ourselves upon You. We still believe in all the other stuff like ask and seek and knock and all that. But at the end of the day, even prayer is a form of trust. with our ministries, with our gifts and our talents. Father, in Jesus' name, I release a grace in this room to trust. It's the most beautiful thing. It's like that old hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." How I've proved Him over and over. Oh, we trust in You. We trust in You. Thank You, God, that the blood gives us confidence, but Your, your body gives us a way to the glory. And when You were crucified, we were crucified. We died to ourself so we can raise to life brand new. Hallelujah. I want to just take a few moments and just if there's anything in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord I want you to just take a moment if you need to kneel if you need to get in your own space you need to lift your hands if you feel like you need to throw something at God like that's what the Bible said and I'm giving you a key on how to live in peace and to walk in this so just take a few moments we'll worship we'll sing but I mean, if, if you, you know, sometimes we just jump right into like, oh, I got to sing. But if there's some stuff you got to let go, God's, God's probably telling you he's good like that. And it's because he has your best intentions in mind. And so if you got some things you just want to let go and lay at Jesus' feet tonight, why don't you just cast it on Jesus tonight? Because he cares about you. And I want to lead you in a corporate prayer and then just go into your own specifics. Just say this all over the room. Say, Lord Jesus, I trust in You. I'm done putting confidence in myself. 
And I lean wholly on You. Do for me what I cannot do for myself. You're my provider. You're my protector. You're my deliverer. And you're my father. I trust you. And I give you my cares. Because you care for me. Wow. Come on, let's just let's just go before him tonight and lay some stuff down. Thank you, Jesus. listening to this Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.